Well, tradition has it that I'm now supposed to introduce all my guests to my podcast and I'm supposed to give you why I'm speaking to them. And the reason why tradition has that as an embed is because I found that there is almost no way, funnily enough, that I can finish a conversation off in one hour. And that could be both my fault or the, it looks like it's my fault, right? I probably underestimate the fact that I can pick a brilliant person's mind in one hour. And the brilliant person that I have on the episode today is Dr. Sudhir Kakkar. And anybody who's been invested in psychology, therapeutic psychology, or psychoanalysis in India has heard of Dr. Sudhir Kakkar. In fact, some of you have probably even read the, the prolific amount of books that he's written. He's been a contributor to the Indian thought for a very long period of time. And I was blessed and privileged to have had a conversation with the man himself. I think the more interesting part of my introduction is going to be the reason why I had the conversation with him. And to explain the reason to you, I'll have to tell you a little bit of my story. When I came to Columbia first, after having rejected a career path in finance and law and all those things back in India, I wanted to study philosophy. I wanted an answer to the bigger questions in life. And so day one, class one, I sat in a philosophy class. It was called Methods and Problems in Philosophy. We started with, I think, Descartes' second meditation. And day one, I was like, this is some bullshit. This is some bullshit. In the name of philosophy, they're still teaching me inside the box thinking. They're not teaching me first principle thinking. And so I was heavy pissed. I was like, this is not going to work. So I spent the next semester and a half jumping from classes to classes, disciplines to disciplines, trying to understand what I really wanted to study now, because philosophy was not going to be it. I'm still interested in philosophy, just not academic philosophy. So what I did was I started sitting in classes that were film, that were religion, that were anthropology. I was sitting in biology classes. I was sitting in all this variety of classes until I found economics. And with economics, I found some sort of a behavioral data centric approach to understanding how humans will behave in complex systems. And I was fond of it. I was, I was never, I've never liked the mathematics that economics involved, but the reasoning is something I was fond of. So I, I took an economic approach to understanding philosophy in one sense of the word. And then later on, I sat in a class about evolutionary psychology. This was summer of 2018. And in that class, my mind was blown. I was like, this is the first principles thinking that I'm looking for. Since then, my views on evolution have changed as well. Since then, my view on evolutionary psychology has changed as well. But that is my introduction to psychology as a discipline, something that I wanted to study. I had not recognized that psychology was a romance that I was carrying in my heart. That is the moment I decided psychology is going to be my major. Now, a lot of people think that what I do, especially on my Hindi channel, Prakhar Ke Pravachan, comes from academic psychology. And nothing can be farther from the truth. I've always been a devout first principle thinker. I respect and I adore the way I think. I've never been not fond of that. For me, psychology, academic psychology was only a means of verifying what I'd thought of and extending what I hadn't thought of. That is how I got acquainted and I flirted with psychology over the last two years uh, at Columbia. And in doing so, this was something around this March or April, I was thinking about the idea. I was, I think I was on a group chat on one of the social media platforms where I sort of gave the impression to people that psychology had got it all wrong and people started questioning me about it. And in introspecting how wrong psychology had got it, I realized psychology has really got things all massively messed up. Without getting into too much detail about how it's gotten it that bad, I'll give you a small example. So for instance, if psychology is, if, if a study in psychology is going to measure how I feel after a certain activity, it's going to ask me to rate my happiness levels between one and 10. And what kind of a bullshit assumption is that you can rate emotions on a scale of one to 10? Not just that, but psychology also takes things for static right? So like, what is your happiness levels now? But what happens in real life is when I observe my happiness levels, there is another mental reaction that happens that probably changes my happiness levels. And that is something that psychology has no provision to incorporate the dynamic nature of the mind. However, the father of modern psychology, Freud, who also came up with psychoanalysis, he had it figured out. Psychoanalysis has that element figured out. Psychoanalysis, even though extremely ambiguous and vague, to the academic scientific mind. And th thus the, the reputation of psychoanalysis as some sort of a difficult therapeutic setting follows because there is so much ambiguity and there is so much cultural localization in 
the earlier psychoanalysts, which is Freud, Hume, and all those people. Dr. Sudhir Kakkar is a psychoanalyst from India, and he has focused his energies, his work on translating psychoanalysis to the Indian context. Like Dr. S Dr. Kakkar says, psychoanalysis is like wine. The flavor of the wine depends on where it was raised. And so psychoanalysis needs a local cultural context to be understood for the local person. And so Dr. Kakkar's brand of psychoanalysis is local to India and the culture of India. And we had a conversation about that, about the dynamic psyche of the Indian person. And I think that was a phenomenal conversation. The conversation went in the direction of how to translate Jung and how to translate Freud into the Indian context to what cultural psyche is, to what the cultural unconscious is, to how Bollywood shapes that cultural unconscious. And in that process, I learned a lot. I am so excited to have another conversation with him already. I have so many questions that I could not pick in that one hour window. That is the reason why I had that conversation with him because I was so infatuated by psychoanalysis. I always thought that behaviorism, which ruled psychology in the 50s and the 60s, is such an infantile approach to understanding the mind. It's almost, I mean, I, I understand that I have the privilege of hindsight that I can look back and be like, haha, those guys were fools. But to come up with an idea where everything is dictated by behavior and there is no substance to thought is infantile in my view and that is what i mean by 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 the fact that psychology has gotten it wrong the fact that psychology uses the approach of understanding computers to understand mind which is cognitive psychology is infantile i don't think they got that bit right and i think in a lot of ways in cooperating buddhist and hindu ideas and i don't mean that because buddhist and hindu ideas are mine but because i've i've spent enough time with them gives you a deeper and a sharper picture of the, the mental condition the human condition of the mind and so that is precisely why I've been interested in breaking the mold of psychology beyond. And that is the reason why Dr. Sudhir Kakkar was on my list of conversations. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome to another episode of PG Radio. I will see you on the other side. So sir, thank you so much for doing this. This is my, um, I cannot say, um, I don't know how to properly express this, but let me give it a shot. I, when I bumped across, um, when I, when I discovered my interest for psychology and from their psychoanalysis, I was fascinated. And I was like, why is it that there is almost nobody whose psychoanalysis I can just read and be like, Oh my God, this fits right. Mm. And uh, possibly that was because like you say, you know, psychoanalysis is a vine that needs to ferment near the ground that mm. is raised in that there is a massive cultural aspect possibly or yeah. There's some yeah. differentiation, right? And yeah. when I came across you, it was almost like discovering two different parts of me. The part of me mm -hmm. that's Indian and the part of yes. me that's fascinated by these sciences. So thank right. you so much for being you, sir, first of all. Secondly, mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you, what is this difference? Yeah. Like, how is Indian psychoanalysis different from classical Freudian, Jungian psychoanalysis? Okay. Uh, there are three basic assumptions in psychoanalysis, which are, I think, common to everywhere and those three are the importance of the unconscious part of the mind that that is 95 percent of our mental life is really unconscious and and that is common to everyone and the second basic assumption of psychoanalysis that early childhood is very formative in the development of the person personality that is also common and then third is that our mental life is really a dialectic or, or a conflict between conscious and unconscious and a dynamic that keeps on taking place all the time. Right. So those three are the common. Uh, the rest is, uh, yeah, is the superstructure which differs. Right. 
But then my question is, and I mean, mm. I would want to jump to the cultural aspects of Indian psychoanalysis too, because I think they're very interesting, but okay. I don't see psychology betraying those three assumptions as well. Like I have my complaints with psychology as a discipline, but I think yeah. they still sort of believe in the idea that, so how is it that psychoanalysis is different from other schools of psychology? And I understand psychoanalysis is therapeutic at its core. And then from there, mm-hmm. philosophical, if at all. But what, mm-hmm. is, what is the structural difference between the two? Between psychoanalysis and psychology? And yeah, and no. everyday psychology that, we, like, that, that I get across to social psychology, personal psychology, how are they different? Yeah. different? Uh, no, they are, they are much more uh, the emphasis on the unconscious part and the access to the unconscious is a very different part of it. Uh, most of the psychology is much more cognitive, uh, mm. uh, although it is changing. I mean, of course, in psych- psychology also, especially, uh, strangely enough, in economics, uh, behavioral economics, for instance, is, right. uh, is much more psychoanalytic in that sense of that, uh, the, they call it, the, I won't call it the irrational, but the mm-hmm non-rational parts processes play a great deal. So mm. that is a, a big difference. Uh, but psychology mostly has been has assumed a universality that we are all the same. Uh, and so much of psychology is really uh, is based on say so many studies of college students in America. Mm. So it's, it's, uh, it, there are some of course more and more. There are much more but that has been a, uh, one of the basics of uh, that uh, mid- middle class European or American man right. is what a human being is. Uh, so anthropology has been much, much more creative in that one and has, uh, has questioned that. And right. anthropology has, of course, influenced me also much more uh, to move towards the cultural psychology, as it called it. Hmm. Hmm. Personally, I have found... Hmm. Um, and it took me a little bit of, of, a, of a minute to understand. And my story is very similar. So I wanted to study philosophy. Okay. Yeah. I, came to, I, took, I came to America, wanted to study philosophy. I sit in my first class. I'm like, I will never learn how to think properly. If I follow this inside the box way of thinking, what I'll do mm-hmm. is I'll approach philosophy sideways. So I went mm-hmm. to, I sit, I sat in an, a film class. I sat in an anthropology, sociology class. Mm-hmm. Eventually mm-hmm. I bargained with my parents enough and they were like, Achha, economics kar lo. And then I realized that I was actually deeply interested in psychology. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started sitting in evolutionary sciences and biology mm-hmm. and all these classes to get to psychology. What mm-hmm. I realized was psychology is extremely static. Like, first of all, mm-hmm. how I cannot put a number to my sadness. I'm sure nobody can put a number to their sadness and that number is going mm-hmm. to be so like self reports. Mm. All obviously distorted. So I realized mm. that the premise on which psychology operates, which works great for things like, say, probably consumer behavior or work things mm. like where mathematics could be, where numbers could be used, where you could use a cardinal ordinal approach mm. for psychology mm. does not work. And for psychoanalysis, mm. it steers, it's, it steers completely. Uh-huh. Mm. It's like, listen, listen, there is something more dynamic happening in the brain. There yeah. is an interaction within the brain itself that psychology yeah. does not seem to probably understand. Am I correct yeah. in formulating that? Uh, Yes, but I mean, some schools of psychology look at that as a black box. They don't care about it. Under kya hota doesn't matter. Right. It is your behavior which is important. Whether we can change that or not, that is the important part of it. Hmm. Uh, you know, and, there is there is there is this big joke uh, about the behavioral psychologist uh, uh, that after 
after a, a couple has had made love, they ask each other, hmm, how was it for me? So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Um, is that also a heritage that is being carried because of the Eurocentricism or like the American centricism of, yeah. right? The material right. reductionist approach of the entire yeah. thing. Because yeah. I, I, I heard you talk about how there is a spiritual angle within psychoanalysis. Yeah. You're quite right because, because that is something, of course, which psychoanalysis also doesn't uh, agree with. It is in that sense very much... Uh, uh, that is Freud's uh, legacy also of the complete, very much uh, suspicion of the, of the spiritual side. Uh, as you know, uh, you know uh, Freud was a great friend of Romain Roland, who had written, uh, and an admirer of Romain Roland, who had written this biography of Ramakrishna, and he had sent it to Freud, and uh, and that's where Freud has uh, said well, uh -huh, that actually I have never felt it myself, but uh, I, I can imagine that some people, mystics, have felt it. But my interest in religion is not the mystic feeling, but the mystic ritual, uh, not the religious rituals and the religious uh, uh, what what comes with it, the theology, etc. And that is. But he was not completely against uh, the spiritual side. Uh, but of course, what happened was his uh, fight with Jung, which then moved psychoanalysis to have complete suspicion of the spiritual side, which was then left to Jung. So for a long time, but these things pass, you know, Freud has been dead for a long time. Jung has been dead for a long time. And, uh, and my, my feeling is that there is also uh, a spiritual part of the psychoanalysis uh, can be part of it that uh, that normal western psychoanalysis is let's say the masters uh -huh. which you have to go through to get to the P to the further to the phd one uh -huh. you cannot skip that so i think the psyche to know the psyche understand the psyche is very important to get to the spiritual one also uh -huh. you can because otherwise it is often very, very much defenses and all kind of things which, which happen there. So you do have to know yourself. You have to understand what is your unconscious, then to go further from it. Mm -hmm. uh, because then the idea that individual's autonomy is the only important part, uh, that you know, what is psychoanalysis is give you freedom from inhibitions lead your life your choices freedom from inhibition but it comes only to my choices what i'm going to do but not whether am i connected to the rest of the creation of the universe also so mine is not the autonomous individual but the caring individual should perhaps be the goal of psychoanalysis also and the caring individual not only assumes but demands uh, uh, a spiritual element in that sense. The spiritual. What does spiritual element mean? It's a, it's it's really love in its in its most elevated form. Right? So, so it's that. Mm. So it's. Uh, uh, but as I said, it's not. It's not a. 
it's not a popular position. Mm, right. Still, there are, not that there aren't analysts. There are. There are. There are some uh, very very well known analysts. Mm. I would call Lacan a mystic analyst and Dion and also there are there also, but, right. but very few. Yeah. Right. There is a, the way I would say is that you need to first construct an I to eventually then dilute it, right? right? You have to go through the process. It's almost like a, when, I, when I was younger, I was, I was so, I was like, I don't need no money. I don't need no money. And as I grew, I realized I can say I don't need no money once I've had the money. Unless yeah. you take that detour, your journey is mm-hmm. not complete. Otherwise, there is only right. rejection. So at least that's how I would see it. But yeah. within this animated um, battle that, people who carry Freud's and Jung's legacy, or at least, you know, there is sort of like this, is this divisiveness between, oh, you are more likely to follow Jung, you are more likely to follow Freud. From Mm. what I understand, this notion of cultural psychology is more a Jungian idea than a Freudian idea, right? Uh, No, because the the Jungian idea is also not the cultural part. The cultural one is between, Jungian idea is is the existence of a universal, Conscious mm. part, of right? It. And the Freudian is, let's. I'm putting it very simplified. There's an, only an individual unconscious. Uh, uh, I'm saying between the individual and the universe, there is mm. also a cultural unconscious. Uh, right, right. And what is this cultural unconscious made of, sir? Uh, the cultural unconscious is uh, <clears throat> exactly the same as as all the other. All what we what we absorb growing up right from the beginning um, of uh, what is uh, what are what are relationships uh, what are the best kind of relationships uh, uh, what is uh, what is uh, good good life uh, uh, what is um, and, and going up to what, are, what is good food what is bad food uh, what is the what a huge, uh, not a huge number, but like, like actually, I, mean, I would say four or five important things, uh, which give you of uh, give you the. Uh, uh, you see, the a baby has no history, and very soon the parents give them the, the history, and that history is very much their own, their families, but the families in the culture they've grown up. So ideas of uh, what is uh, hierarchic relationships are, what is they we learn that those are those go as much in the unconscious as the individual experiences of the person. Right. And I mean, I was, I think I was also listening to another talk where you were talking about the three different, um, I don't know if archetypes is the right word, but three different varieties of father stories that we have in our culture. And there was the caring father, there was the mm-hmm. desired father. And there was, I think there was uh, one more and it's all those stories, to me, mm-hmm. it, it seemed like we're part of the cultural unconscious, which is yeah, you know the large mm-hmm. corpus of cultural stories that exist that we borrow from to create architectures of behavior as we go forward in our life. And that is how I would mm-hmm. explain that. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, my uh, a very close friend of mine who is uh, a producer on the show with me here is mm-hmm. Muslim. He's never heard, possibly he's never heard the story of uh, Yayati or the story of... Dashrat and Ram and all of that. Mm-hmm. Does the cultural unconscious still affect him in that sense? Does that still get passed on through, say, for instance, me, the way I behave? Like, how does that work? Yeah, uh, I think uh, basically I'm I was talking much more of the Hindu unconscious, but the, but 
people living in India have been also greatly influenced, even if they are, even if they are Muslim. I think an Indian Muslim is very different from an Arab Muslim. Right. Because some of that has come up. Because one knows, uh, uh, they have heard the stories. Uh, they've, they've listened to the bhajans and songs. Uh, from man, mantar for the Hare Ram, famous Bollywood Sir, song. I can't composed. hear you. I think aapke oh, mic mein, there, I, there's something with your mic. Is there a fan? Uh, no, there's not a fan. There's a huge rain <laughs> which has just come. Oh, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just keep your headphone, microphone, when you speak, and that's all. That should be it. All right. All right. Okay. 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 So, uh, when you, there's a lot of thick classic, uh, light classical music, which is sung by Muslims also, and they are but Ram and Bhajan, etc. So, there has been an influence, but of course, they have their culture unconscious and mm. some other stuff also coming in. But, right. but all, I think, all communities have been influenced somewhere. Right. But right. much more the Hindu unconscious in that sense. I think right. they have a lot of Ramayana everyone. Hmm. In India, Mahabharat, etc., they have heard those stories. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. And so, my my question is, um, if ninety five percent of me is made up of these stories, these these these, um, then to what? First of all, how is it that I'm processing stuff differently in my unconscious? Say the relationships that you were talking about when I was like, what do cultural unconscious mean? You were like the relationships that you learn when you were growing up and all of that. How is that different from my conscious part? Like, where is the difference there? Because, I mean, I see my relationships consciously as well as well as unconsciously. What's, what's, mm-hmm. what's the separation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's, so the, so that's the negotiation which every individual does because there is an individual part there's a cultural part and there is a universal part. So mm. it is all the negotiation between the three you are doing all the time. Right. 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 Interesting. Interesting. And so, so th- this whole idea that there is an individual part of me, a cultural part of me and a universal part of me is how, how do I, I sort of intellectually understand that. How do I feel that within myself? Like how do I understand the separation? Like what is happening? You, you, do you see what I mean? Is my question clear or should I try it one more time? Yeah, no, I, no. I, uh, you understand it only through, well, reflection is all I can say about this. Uh, and and my, my point is in general, psychoanalysis tends to be so ambiguous, so fluid, right? That yeah. It is so fluid, in fact, that people have had enough qualms about raising questions whether this is even an effective method or not, at least in the West, right? Like Freud's, right? Freud's legacy is no longer celebrated the way I see it. And to me, yeah. I'm like, how can that not be? Do you not understand one of the most important contributions to the understanding of the mind? The separation of the mind, at least in the mm-hmm. Western world, was given by this man. So mm-hmm. what is happening with that? Why is psychoanalysis no longer, you know, glamorized or even neutralized? Uh, well, I, I, I would say is effectiveness as a therapy. Hmm. Uh, if you want to kind of get uh, rid of your symptoms, uh, what you're suffering and which everyone, that's why people come to as a healing thing. Uh, it is, it is, it, it's long term. It costs a lot of money. So, and in fact, getting rid of symptoms, almost any, any system of therapy 
uh, including all shamans, sources, etc. They, they do it. They do as well as long as you believe in that. Mm. So, so it's not a very effective psychotherapeutic system, although there have been now kind of studies of, uh, compared to cognitive behavior uh, that it is more effective long term than in short term. But but all those are all contested one. Mm. So so if you want to kind of get rid of your 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 pain, it's, it is it is not. Really, because, for instance, it, uh, it, it says that, I mean, Freud, that sentence is not a very good one when he says, uh, all it wants to do is transform your hysterical misery into common human unhappiness. Now, who does want only common human unhappiness? Uh, hmm. If that is all what psychoanalysis is offering, hmm. is, uh, is, is that the people want, uh, and especially in America, positive psychology, etc., you want to, to be right. happy. Right. So happiness is not a psychoanalytic aim. Understanding, self-understanding is your aim, not mm. happiness. It can bring happiness, maybe, but it can also bring sadness. I, um, I think around this time, no, 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 a little later than this time last year, um, I had been extremely unhappy and and I was worried that I might be depressed. So I mm -hmm. went and saw a bunch of therapists and surprisingly mm -hmm. enough, it was mm -hmm. only the psychoanalyst eventually that mm -hmm. became, that worked for me. And um, mm -hmm. the woman in question, the therapist in question was a Lacanian Freudian psychoanalyst. And mm -hmm. I think it was a very different experience altogether because mm -hmm. part of my job as I walked in, I realized was to forget that she existed. Part of my mm -hmm. job was to think of her as existing as a picture where she's mm -hmm. inanimate. So I mm -hmm. can then feel comfortable enough to just say, and mm -hmm. every time I'd walk out of that setting, 45 minutes of speaking, first of all, never knew where those 45 minutes went. Mm -hmm. Right. And as mm -hmm. soon as I'd walk out, it would feel like the world was no longer the same. It would, mm -hmm. it was almost as if pieces in my visual mm -hmm. field were moving. Mm -hmm. Now I could never ask her apparently, you know, so a part of the psychoanalyst deal is that I can never be friends with her, but I want to ask mm -hmm. you <laughs> what is really happening there? What is really happening there? Is there is there a just is there a common explanation for this or would you have to take it case by case? Uh, the, the common explanation is that uh, uh, she or he is the most important part is listening to your empathy, trying to feel what you're feeling, etc. And you and you are you are getting that uh, she or he. I mean, when somebody comes to me, I mean, I, I say immediately, I have no idea of what is troubling you, who you are. I don't believe in any diagnostic stuff at all. We have both to learn and go on this journey together. Uh, so, and you are the one who really knows. Uh, my job is just to enable you to, to know, to know that. So if there's something which I feel, aha, uh -huh, you missed it, I will point out is is there any connection and then you can so it it gives you actually much more autonomy on how and where you want to go mm. there are no judgments going to be there at all uh, uh, so the the function is only to uh, open, be as open as you can and uh, and I'll be there to 
to at least uh, not prevent, but guard you again, because it's always accompanied by fears also. You know? And you come to any therapist with mixture of hope and fear. So the hope is the one which brings you because you are in pain, but the fears start coming up. What if this is going to, where am I going? So as long as you get that, what is called the therapeutic alliance, as it seems you got with this, right. this, this therapist, that you will be contained. Hmm. is more than enough. Right, right. And it was, to me, it was an acquaintance that I made with myself. Right. I yeah, never got yeah. to know her. I don't even probably remember her name. And I spent a considerable amount of time, but I got mm-hmm. to know myself in a very weird way. Mm-hmm. And what was happening was there were two interesting things. One, I would say things and I'd be like, did I say that? Mm-hmm. Where is that mm-hmm. coming from? And that's so mm-hmm. interesting. And I'd be like, and I think part of this saying something that yeah. probably existed in the back of my head that would then begin to restructure my world outside is, yeah. is my explanation. The second yeah. thing is there were still connections that would exist that I would not notice in my mm. blah, 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 blah for 45 minutes that she'd casually point to be like, Oh, by the way, you missed out yeah. on that. Yeah. And I was meeting myself on a whole different level. As far yeah. as fear was concerned, yeah. I, I realized that there were parts of me. I was so afraid of confronting. Yeah. Yeah. How dare I say that this is what I think about myself. Yeah. Oh my God. And as I got closer to be, to, to say that, just saying that transformed my entire relationship with those things. Mm-hmm, so what mm-hmm. is this magic that psychoanalysis understands that, you know, psychology or like cognitive behavioral therapy would have treated it in a reverse engineered behavior to cognition fashion. There is no magic. You have done really all the work. You are ready to, ready to go there. Uh, all you want is that I will be so to say contained yeah I, nothing bad is going to happen to me and when there's some nudges needed i would get them so 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 you've done the all there, there is no magic hmm. uh, it is uh, i mean my question is sir my question is like from a from a therapist standpoint i understand that there is no magic right. prakhar has to do all his work that i understand yeah. in fact i respect that because only i have all the information on me right absolutely like how, how absolutely. else can somebody right but my question is like, how is it that as soon as I say something, like I was reading a quote earlier today, somebody sent me, um, and I think it's a Jungian quote, as long as you let your unconscious be unconscious and not your conscious, you will call your, you will call your life fate driven, something to that effect. Is that what's happening when I'm saying something, my unconscious is becoming conscious? Like, what is this process that is happening when I'm speaking? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the whole, whole uh, idea behind is to make the unconscious conscious. Only one knows the unconscious is a huge thing. You are not going to make all the unconscious conscious. Mm. But there's a huge sense of discovery and of this kind of feeling of amazement and wonderment of what all I have inside me, which could have been also frightening, embarrassing, shameful, etc. That it is all that it is all okay. And and then and then Freud, you know, or any psychoanalysis uh, that desire which it cannot be eliminated uh, which uh, some of the some of the spiritual traditions think it can um, right. maybe they're right i don't know but, but my, mine would be you can all you can do is to understand it 
and that, not all you can do. That is what you need to do is to understand, not to eliminate. Mm. And that's what uh, is a huge uh, sense of well-being when you are doing that, uh, that my, I'm understanding my desires. Right. Have you, sir, read um, uh, Zizek? I have uh, not, not, I mean, I've read his articles, etc. Right. Yeah. right. But like what I think he's trying to do from a psychoanalytical framework is bring to the mm. conscious what you might call is cultural unconscious, where he's trying to mm. right, bring out parts. Is that, mm. is that a thing? Can we, can we create, like, can we make cul the cultural unconscious, the cultural conscious? Is that a transmutation? Mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. Right. Is that mm -hmm. possible? I think, I think that very much, uh, very much so. And, and that's when we can get back to what you asked for the Indian part of it. Right. So, so when the Indian part is, uh, I mean, when I go, and I did go also I mean, to Western psychoanalyst, that's where my training was. There was often my feeling, uh-huh, he doesn't quite understand me. Mm -hmm. So that is where my Indian cultural unconscious was coming. And, 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 and how, how can he? Because he, psychoanalysts also grow up in their own cultural part of right. it. Uh, so the cultural unconscious is as much a part of the psychoanalyst hmm. as of the client there. Uh, so, and, so, and sometimes it is, uh, they do not understand that. I, right. mean, I remember uh, Beethoven was absolute noise completely. I mean, what is the, at earlier now, of course. I right, right. And, 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 and he couldn't understand. Uh, I didn't play for him, but... Uh, I loved Indian classical music and for, for him, it, what is this? So, I mean, this is just a small kind of example. There's so many of these of uh, where the cultural part comes in. Right. Uh, which, uh, which often is then get missed. Uh -huh. When you say that, because I'm unsure about timelines here, were you really hanging out with Beethoven? Afterwards. After? after... Because, because I was there, because I, was, I, I had to know their culture, etc. What mm -hmm. do they, what do they value? What do they believe in? Uh, which, which started making me know, what do I believe in? What do I want to listen to? Right. Why do I, kind of those. Right. So in fact, so it often this, uh, this uh, confrontation or, or encounter with the hmm. culture unconscious happens when you're outside your Right. Culture. I was going to say, it is like when you have a mirror from something like. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At what point? And so, okay, here's how I'll frame this question. I grew up so angry at Bollywood for selling yeah. me, peddling me ideas. Yeah, you know, so you, have you seen Gangs of Wasipur? Yes. You know, the famous line, Jab tak cinema rahega, log pe, it's that cinema teaches you how to desire. That, mm -hmm. you know, has been my frustration since forever. What to desire mm -hmm. and then how to desire. And mm -hmm. I, when I talk to a lot of my friends, when I talk to women my age, when I talk to mm -hmm. men my age, and I understand, say, for instance, their concept of romance, it is so Bollywood ridden. Yeah. I mm -hmm. would automatically guess that their cultural unconscious is Bollywood. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Do you think kuch kuch hota hai can be part of my generation's cultural unconscious? Very much so. Yeah. And, and in, in light of that, is there not, and I'm not passing a normative judgment on kuch kuch hota hai at this moment, mm -hmm. but I'm, gen, I'm generally concerned if, if this cultural unconscious is so important that it's mm -hmm. driving the interface between the universal and the individual in me. Mm -hmm. Should that not remain nourished for all of us? Should we not then be switching off our Netflix and then probably picking up one of these books to read? Uh, no, I mean, uh, you are confronting, uh, not confronting, confronting is a bad word. Right. You are encountering your uh, cultural unconscious. How, 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 no, 
the thing is then of course you have the choice of mm. rejecting parts of it that is what the whole part of psychoanalysis would be rejecting that okay i have that in me but mm. this is not this is not my choice my choice is going to be there or the western one which you pick up which is given to you uh, when you look at it aha uh-huh, this is a western cultural one mm. uh, i okay i'll do it except that uh, this is what i'm going to do or no i, I reject that mm. but not to see the western only as the normative one mm. as mm. that is what all human beings are right right i have seen the west minimizes and i mean it could be for more than one reason again not a normative statement but they they minimize the differences between where i come from and where i am right now i'm currently mm-hmm. in new york at columbia um mm-hmm. as that of the difference between an individualistic culture and a collectivist culture mm-hmm. and i think that is only like is a prime of a side labeling difference mm-hmm. the real mm-hmm. meat begins when we start looking into it and so yeah. here is how i've come to realize something and tell me if it makes sense to you like for we i think are a inherently role playing culture we are not pragmatic about our realities we are we are extremely attached to our roles so the example i use is prakhar ke papa is prakhar ke papa when he speaking to prakhar he is no longer whatever person he is he has mm-hmm. to play that role and that takes precedence over almost any other identity he has and we participate in this grand theater where we exchange roles we move from one to the other all of that mm-hmm. very very quickly and what mm-hmm. that means is if my friend calls me up in india right now he's like i'm having trouble i need money my first mm. response is yes you can have it but what do you need it for again mm. why here in america it's like what do you need it for and then maybe at the end of the negotiation i say yes mm. right is that mm. reflective of some cultural unco- some something that you might have studied am i making sense to you again no no uh, no you no you're making very uh, no sense to you. yeah but that is that is where you, i mean you are doing it there i mean then you can choose which one to of course right so so but if you don't have the choice at all if it's in an automatic role play hmm. and, and no i mean it is it is it has a good, good good adaptive parts also this role playing because that's what makes indians very successful because they come and adapt to any culture where they are uh, very very fast but there is always some niggling feeling of i think a, a discomfort there of a, is this it a false self mm. do i have also an authentic self which is different from the role playing mm. and any kind of this therapeutic culture whichever one is what is what is an authentic self sorry how, how do uh, i how do i think of an authentic self how do i conceptualize that when 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 you feel that i am there in all my role playing i'm doing it but there is an i there which is not only role playing hmm. i'm doing this because so i'm not identifying with the role which is not like my environment is not forcing me to do this there is an autonomy within me that's making me do this that is making yeah but sir like here is what i understand also is that almost all social interaction is a performance like i mean if i keep going down the rabbit hole of what is authentically me i discover that i hit a massive roadblock which is everything that i am is borrowed so what is this authentic self is this an illusion i'm creating for myself or is this real uh, uh, well well my, my feeling would be that there is a real uh, that one looks for it uh, and i think where the power of uh, of the of love there of, of of another person 
that is very much strongly that here, or the hope is that here my authentic self is going to come, that there will be no role playing at all. And so whether, is that an illusion? But at least that is the, I think, a big hope which makes romantic relationships very much uh, uh, so powerful. So it's not only just the sexual drive or the sexual attraction, mm. but that I will have somebody where I can be and and he or she will be a mirror mm. to, to do that, which is also in the therapy part. I, I think you go to therapy also of, is there an authentic self here which needs to, I, I want to know about. Mm. Mm. That is super interesting. And sir, does, is this authentic self an evolving being? Because if I want to incorporate yeah. the idea of a diluted I in the spiritual sense, then my authentic self has to at some point, like where will the universal love come from if the authentic self is not evolving? It has to then, right? Of course, of course. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And, and not, this, there's no fixity there. Yeah. But then, and in this in this evolution, this evolution is going to be again environmental, environmentally driven. What I experience, how I do, whatever happens, right. right? So to that extent, it could be that my authentic self has a borrowed element from the environment. But at the end of the day, there is some part of me that is authentic. In your belief, uh, uh, that the that that the authentic self uh, will keep on. Uh, somewhere feeling this is not me. Mm. This is the color which I'm taking from the environment. Okay, I will do it because it is needed for that, but I'm only doing it so that you're making a choice again mm. of doing it. So the environment in that sense, yes. Right. And is there a problem of over-authenticity too? Because if I'm defining a problem on one end of the scale, my instinct is to go on the other end of the scale and see what the trade-off is. So what is an, is there an over-authentic self, somebody that's overly just itself and does not pay attention to the environment? Is that a thing that comes up? Possibly? Case that, by case? Is, that, that is the great mystics. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. Ramakrishna, for instance, or Ramana Maharishi, or, or the ones. Uh, so, so our admiration for the great mystics, I think, is also the feeling or, or the wish, maybe, mm. that these are completely authentic self-people. Mm. Mm. Right, right. And, and they inevitably, would you say that this mystic inevitably embodies the spiritual and therefore this is how the chain connects for you that in your over authentic, you know, self, maybe you have to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. How is it? How is and I mean, feel free to not comment because I understand uh, there is a predicament, but the last five or six years, there has been an upper trajectory to let's say overt patriotism. Right mm-hmm. to overtly mm-hmm. feeling because I remember back when I was growing up and I was more 15 than 24 or even before that, mm-hmm. the concept of India in my socioeconomic strata would not inspire but would incite and incite mm-hmm. a negative emotion. That has mm-hmm. changed now. It is my India will show China this that. Mm-hmm. Is there is there something that you've thought of that you've worked on that explains this phenomena? Is there some light that you'd be able to shed on? Would you be able to speculate on this? Is there a cultural unconscious part that's becoming conscious? Mm. Mm. Uh, 
I think when one be starts becoming uprooted from one's, uh, one's cultural moorings, uh, uh, then you need to find some other moorings there. And I think that's uh, uh, happening. So the, nas the nationalism wouldn't, is not a traditionalist. So a traditionalist is not, wouldn't be a nationalist at all. Uh, because he or she is more in in that yeah in the in that very much who doesn't need the nation so so uh, so to become part of uh, that you always it's still the cultural unconscious it means only that I still need to feel that I'm part of a bigger community that mm. is uh, that is the that driving is, force that is the driving force and since my communities are the ones which used to be there, mm. I'm losing them or have lost them. They don't mean that much to me, etc. So it is a search for which community is going to give me that feeling of I belong to another community. And I think that uh, uh, so much of the modernization will, will lead to that. What is... Um, so... There was a very interesting question that was posed to me by um, by somebody here at Columbia. And that question then further reflects upon another question. So let me start with that question, maybe get to the other question. The first question was, like, I, I understand the difference between what Freud and Jung are trying to say, but the, 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 the real part is that Jung does not explain what motivations are made out of. Freud says it's aggression, sex, you know, he still classifies that into some, some kind of a bi biological drive. Jung talks about the architecture in which those motivations are affected, right? Mm -hmm. But, the, and the question that this reflects upon from there is that almost all these people had one or the other end goal. Um, I think yeah. Adler was about, you know, self-realization or self-enhancement or self-mastery or something like that. What is it that your brand of psychoanalysis, your version of psychoanalysis, uh, takes for the individual individual end goal to be? Is it primarily therapeutic, unease and all that or? Mm, no, my, my goal is of, uh, is of, of a self understanding, growth of wisdom uh, and not, which goes beyond the individual, only my, mine, mine mm. uh, to uh, to not only then only my community or nation, but uh, well, I mean, in the sense of the of uh, much more connection, uh, or sympathy, or empathy with the with the, yeah with all creation. So it 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 sounds it sounds too too much. It too sounds too much. But that would be the uh, would be my preferred goal. And Jung Freud is the difference is, uh, as you said, Freud is much more original, originological, mm. but that your origins are the ones which are important. And Jung is much more teleological, that your ends, where you are going, that is important. So I always, always feel that psychoanalysis is, Freudian is, is very good for people under 40, 50. After that, I think a Jungian analysis is a better one as you Very go towards your end yeah so this is exactly like you got the boat you, you were like okay i can now choose the autonomy to choose between the two is where it's uh, very interesting very interesting i had one question in mind that i think I'm, I'm i'm yes right so when 
I, I understand that what you said sounds too abstract uh, or, or for that matter too esoteric because I was a reductionist once. I was somebody who not understood the immaterial, let's just say a material, if not material, mm-hmm. um, until I sat in a Vipassana retreat sometime around the same time uh-huh. last year, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And I just, I, I, there is almost no words. There was, because yeah. one, you cannot write while those realizations are happening in your head. But there are no words to the amount of transformation that something like that offered me. And part of that transformation was selfhood, where I was seeing myself, making friends with myself, becoming more, you know, connected, Mm -hmm. acquainted with myself. And then Mm -hmm. towards the end, they start, they they tell you, we have a balm for all the surgery you've been doing inside your head. And that is then Mm -hmm. outward. That is then Mm -hmm. offering everybody else the merits you have. Mm-hmm. And again, for the first time you hear it, you're like, okay, this is a little absurd. Like I get, I can manage myself, but, but that those, the last three or five minutes where everything that I've meditated upon now goes out to the world mm-hmm. serves as some incredible, um, mm-hmm. let's say mm-hmm. pain relief mm-hmm. on the pain mm-hmm. of realizing how limited and how mm-hmm. insignificant and all those yeah. other, you know, what Freud calls ambient misery, whatever that might be. Yeah. It, what do you have to say about that? Like, how does spiritual practices like those fit into the psychoanalytical framework? Well, like, uh, to to my framework, they fit in that that what it should in, what it should increase is not only the autonomy again the same thing, but your connectedness hmm. to um, uh, autonomy. But but you cannot uh, discard that autonomy part of uh, unless you know yourself. Uh, you cannot really discard that, uh, and but then it should go further to hmm. your increasing your connectedness to, as you said, to the world, to its part. Right. Not world. Yeah. Not, right. not only people, but all all the rest of it. Hmm. Hmm. And how does creativity get injected into all of this? So if I'm feeling connected, connection comes from expression. Expression expression must demand some amount of creative thinking. Right, mm-hmm. some amount. I'm not saying you have to be creative in the sense of an artist, but where does where does how does um, how does creativity get inspired um, within an individual? Is that is that between the tension of the unconscious and the conscious and the resolution between the two that forces somebody to be creative, or like wh- where is the where is the mechanism for that? Ah, uh, should look at creativity. A little more differentiated. I mean, everyone, a child, every child is creative. So there is a there's a creative part in every person. You know, you start with. Uh, then there's a kind of a professional creativity of uh, you practice it a lot long, and then you become better and better at it and create, whether it is artist or anything. Uh, but I think what people really talk of creativity, they always think of the genius creativity, the number three. Uh, that kind of creativity mm. that's what the, they normally think of and not the normal creative part of it so if you're talking of of creativity small c that order of the of the big c creativity the big c, then yes. the big c creativity uh, then uh, uh, there are okay. mm. and the question is uh, how does it get uh, so many there is a West, again, here you see also the cultural part of it. The Western notion of creativity has been right from beginning is, uh, uh, the first of course is the Plato one from uh, outside gods uh, which come and etc. 
but the large part of it has been then uh, Aristotle's melancholia that people who are melancholic uh, are the, are going to be also the creative one. So that's why you have Durer's uh, that is drawing uh, very much, uh, or Rodin's this thinker, which mm. every a uh, lot of uh, writers put on their book jackets this mm. uh, this one, you know, and that comes from the Western notion of mel bit melancholic is going to be creative. Mm. So, uh, uh, but also that creativity is uh, is completely unbounded. You you have to live your life, uh, and that is the artist uh, you know, who allows self, himself or herself everything. Which is, which is now, for instance, when you look at the Indian shlipshasas, with creativity is, uh, you cannot be creative if you let yourself go. It has to be very much uh, bounded. Uh, even, even, even the sexual part, etc. No. So it's, it's a very different kind of a creativity in the mm. Indian, Indian sense of also what, what a creative is. Much of the Indian one, of course, they have this, that it, a part of it comes from your karma, from the previous life. Uh, so there are different ways of looking at creativity also. But the modern one, of course, that pain and creativity go very much together. Mm. If only, only someone in great pain can also create. I'm, I'm not sure about it. That's a trope, which is very, very, right. which is very popular one of uh, uh, anyone who suffers is the one who can create. I'm not sure if that is mm. the one they've Right, 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 right. That trope was uh, again popularized in Bollywood using the film Rockstar. I don't know if you ever came across that. I haven't seen that, but... Mm. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it's, a, it's a Jim Morris. It's like this Delhi kid who's, who wants to be like Jim Morrison and he wants pain because otherwise music will not emerge. Other, I see. Right. Yeah. So uh, th that yeah. trope is real. Yeah, that, that, that does happen. <laughs> It seems from, um, from from talking to you that the, the differences become clearer to me between the Indian and the Western. I am curious, how different are they? Is it like entirely different or what is the universal aspect? Yeah. The, the, no, the, three, the three statements that you'd mentioned, are those the only universal aspects or is there something else that carries? Does sex as a meme that you know Freud used carry into the Indian psychoanalytical framework as well? Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, I mean, if you, uh, I, I did once a paper, or, no, not paper, but I mean, that Freud is a tantric. Mm. So, uh, right. Very much so. I mean, there is, this, or, or what is one rumor about Freud uh -huh. is that, that whole, that it is a sexual part. Uh, and, and it is, a, and it is quite right. I mean, the whole, the tantric, the also, the, how important that is. And that has been all in the, Indian texts also that, uh, that from the smallest living beings to the highest to Shiva etc. That is has been the most important part. So, so it is not that there's such a big such a big difference. Uh, some of the why Jung often gets a difficult problem is that. Uh, there is it looks uh, there is not that much emphasis there on this on the sexual part of uh, human being or the, or the erotic force or the life force etc so mm. he comes across as a little bloodless uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's not enough uh, 
blood biology in in in, in his right 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 yeah, right yeah, yeah. but since since the, the the cultural connotations of the east or at least india and again the hindu part of india or is so vehemently different from everybody else first of all there is no one there is everyone is we can mm. make manufacture gods no problem so divinity mm. is wholesale mm. right transcendence mm. is wholesale whatever that mm. might mean in the cycle mm. then mm. the metaphysics are different in the sense that it's not like if i die i die tomorrow i am a cockroach like you know yeah Yeah. How does that impact uh, the societal fabric? Like, how does that impact my my unconscious? Like, if I were to, if if I had to leave my listeners with one say tool of trying to connect the stories that they've heard, things that they're influenced mm-hmm. by, and how that impacts their behavior. Let me take mm-hmm. this as an example and ask you how how would you imagine a common relationship between my behavior from these stories from my cultural unconscious? I think one of the cultural unconscious stories is. there is no absolutes in the in the indian unconscious everything is relative there is so many gods one can do that one can do that it depends all depends on the context so there is there is no absolute there is no thou shalt kill or thou shalt not kill it depends on where you are desh shram there have been four coordinates of action in the hindu one the culture the time uh, your stage of life and what you inherit from the previous life which one can say previous life means your child forgotten life the early childhood i would say that mm-hmm. so and nobody can know all those four so nobody can really know your action is bad or good so that is uh, so yes so you do what your community does or your caste does or what your big people do but nobody can really know if your action is right or wrong so this kind of uncertainty about right and wrong actions is a very strong part of the indian culture uh, unconscious and you see that in the laws also uh, in, in 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 the kama sutra for instance there is a section on seducing wife of, of other mm. other men mm. so it's which it starts with uh, 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 you sh- you shouldn't seduce the wife of the man that's the more except there's always exception right. if you're going to if you're going to become mad with passion also if you are going to get some material gains because her husband is something etc etc then you can and at the end it says but you shouldn't have done it but the, i mean this is the way that's my mind when i'm doing that <laughs> <laughs> so that's good and the, and this goes all through i mean every law you shouldn't uh, pee on the kings that is the shastra of kings road right except if you're a small child mm. old man who can't hold it so every rule has an exception so exceptions are so many that there are no rules in that sense uh-huh. of the and that has the positive part of the as you said adapting so you can adapt very very fast because there's nothing saying no yes no mm, mm. but it also has uh, a kind of this people will say a uh, moral ambiguity that uh, all the time uh, which you deal with it and i think that and that's just me and maybe it is me for whatever reason i am me but i just think that is more respectful like in the sense that if you create I, i'm in the business of offering people advice now surprisingly i found mm-hmm. myself there and i've realized the more yeah. if you sufficiently complicated advice it starts mm-hmm. to look like real life 
the mm-hmm. more you put ifs buts accepts mm-hmm. in your right and so yeah. the, the more it looks like real life what that means is that there is a large amount of morality that is relative to at least the first three things that you mentioned i do not know how much the last life carries into this life it might i'm not denying not, not taking it off the table but it is like there, there is all these contextual things that need to be evaluated before you evaluate and there is universals too but yeah and th- th- that's the due respect i think even for, that's my complaint with positive psychology like if you're going to tell me a decision x on the graph is purely positive like where is the trade off there has mm. you have to think about mm. it sophisticatedly enough you have to mm. so um and maybe that's why i like my psychoanalytical uh, therapeutic setting too because i could say things and mm. i knew that i could say things mm. I, I i mean mm. i was mm. a child when i did that i had no better idea without mm. feeling and i'm i'm sure no therapist yeah. would have judged but yeah. the psychoanalytical therapy just allowed me to never consider even the fact that somebody might judge and that yeah. changed a lot for me so it just yeah. might be it just might be mm-hmm. 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 but uh, do you have any questions for me how long have we been no. at it would you say this has been an hour i think so yes, yes. oh I, yes yes <laughs> it, it, it went very fast it went right. fast Yeah, right. because you were you were so good with the questions. So. No, please. I, I I I I'm I'm partly secretly afraid that I made it too boring for you. If I did, no, 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 not at all, not at all. It was a pleasure. No, Doctor Kakar, the pleasure is absolutely okay. mine. Um, I I hope I get one more chance sometime soon. I will email you if you're available. Please, we'll talk about okay. more stuff. Certainly. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.